Okay. Well, last, uh, last Sunday, I shared with you what I um, think was one of the most significant messages I shared throughout the year. I think one of the more significant messages I shared was probably the first Sunday of the year where I told you that God was going to take us to the other side. And we looked at the text where Jesus got in the boat with the disciples and the storm hit. Remember that? And then uh, Jesus was asleep in the boat. The disciples freaked out. But he got up, he calmed the storm, and he took them to the other side. And I really felt like that was a prophetic picture for our church for two, 2010. I don't know. I thought we hit a storm at some point. <laughs> but, this, the, but the point of the message wasn't that there'd be a storm. The point of the message is that he said he'd take us to the other side. And so I really felt like that was significant. God is going to take us to the other side. We're on a journey. He's taking us somewhere. And um, I felt like last Sunday's message was, a, um, was one of the most significant messages in, in pointing in the direction of saying where God's taking us. So we're on a journey. And what I want to do today is help you to continue to go further on that journey. I feel the responsibility as the pastor to provide some kind of leadership some kind of guidance, some kind of signposts on where we're going. It helps people, I've learned over the years, that if they know where we're going, it, there's less anxiety. It's less stressful. It doesn't mean it's stress-free. It doesn't mean that people don't get nervous at all with change. But if they have some information, it becomes clearer. There's a comfort in that. And so I want to take another step today in helping to comfort you in the journey and give you and point you in the direction that I feel God's taken us. Last week, I told you that we've, the whole church, and we're part of it, has transitioned from what I refer to as the ruler season to the mercy season. If you didn't hear last week's message, I strongly encourage you to go to our website and, and listen to it. I took a lot of time to kind of unpack that and, and describe what it means. It was inspired... Um, from a DVD series that we had gone through uh, entitled Nurturing Your Spirit, a presentation made by Arthur Burke. A handful of us went through it. We did it as a Thursday night small group uh, in September and October. And then on October 30th, we did the whole series. It's about seven or eight hours on a Saturday. And we went through all the materials again. And um, I had an opportunity to sit through those materials a few times, and I felt inspired. By it. You know, sometimes you listen to things and you take notes and you can feel like God's on it and he begins to speak to you. And what helped me uh, so much in these materials is I felt like God was giving me language for my experience. It seems like he has allowed me to have a sense, to have a feeling, to perceive to some degree um, changes going on in the spiritual seasons. And um, I didn't quite have language for it uh, until I listened to these messages by Arthur Burke. Now, I am aware that only a handful of you went through those materials. And so on Wednesday, I had a meeting with Peter and Maurice. And I knew that they had not seen materials, and, but they did have an opportunity to sit through my message last Sunday. And, um, you know, when you've preached as many sermons as I have, you can tell when there are question marks on people's faces. You know, there are times when they really get it, and there are times they're like, hmm, this might be God. You know, I'm not sure I really know what he's talking about, but okay, we'll see where this goes. So in order to, to help them, I thought it would be great if I could show them this one um, brief clip from Arthur Burke's presentation, and they watched it, and I could see after they did that the light really went on for both of them at a much more significant level. And so I thought, well, if it helped them uh, progress forward on the journey that we're on, then maybe it would be a benefit to all of us if we had an opportunity to watch that as well. So what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you uh, a section of this presentation that Arthur Burke makes on his uh, DVD series entitled Nurturing Your Spirit. Um, and it's about the changing seasons. He talks about how the spiritual seasons have changed from the ruler season to uh, the mercy season. Just to give you a little bit of foundation so that it makes sense when you watch it. 
Um, Romans chapter 12 talks about the seven uh, redemptive gifts of the Spirit. Romans 12, verses 6 to 8. Arthur Burke has done a, a massive amount of research and study on those verses and has lined up those seven redemptive gifts listed there in Romans 12 with seven seasons of church history. And he's of the belief that we've, we've comp- recently completed the sixth season, which he calls the ruler season, and that we're, we've entered into a new season of church history, that it's the mercy season. So what I'd like to do is um, show this portion of the video, and then afterwards, I want to open up. Let's dialogue a little bit. If you have some questions, we can, we can talk about it some. So listen, um, and if you have questions, we'll talk about it afterwards. Let me get this light, and then we can start the video. Okay. All right, one more. Let's go to page 19. This one is in your notes. And I'm fascinated by the fact that you said about three years ago things begin to fall apart. A major teaching that we're not going to cover in any detail is the redemptive gifts of time. We're in a change of season, a huge change of season, and church history follows these seven redemptive gifts. The apostolic era was redemptive gift of prophet as there was this great vision, signs and wonders, and the outward expansion. The next two centuries of persecution was redemptive gift of service. The great monastic era was redemptive gift of teaching. The Renaissance was exhorter. Great century of missions without birthing anointing was the quintessential illustration of the gift of giving. And we have just come out of the ruler season of church history where the focus was primarily on authority structures, on size, on numbers. And now the church has moved from the ruler season into the last season, the final season, the greatest season, which is the redemptive gift of mercy season of the church. And it happened a little less than three years ago. As you look at the sevens in Genesis, you can see that this transition is the single largest transition that the church will ever go through. Because the first six days were all of a kind. God created a little more complexity in the ecosystem each of the first six days, but he completed it on the sixth day. And on the seventh day, there was not additional creation. On the seventh day... He sanctified time. And the significant thing about that is that it was a change from doing to being, and it was a change from the microcosm to the macro. Because time is one of the most universal characteristics of everything that God created. In each of the previous six seasons, God is focused on redeeming one group of people out of the culture. And now in this mercy season, God is planning to redeem the entire culture, not just redeem people out of the culture. It is a monumental shift, an immense shift, a paradigm shift that we've never walked through before. The Protestant Reformation is child's play compared to what will happen in your lifetime. Now we have one major problem. We've never lived the mercy season before. We don't know how to do it right. We have a second major problem. Every single one of us here except this precious baby Tony over here was born in the ruler season. And we worked hard in the ruler season. And we learned how to do things the ruler way. And just about the time we got almost good at what we were doing, the game changes, the rule changes, And there's a whole different season that we're walking in. Many things from the ruler season carry over into the mercy season. And there's many things that don't. There's many new things we need to learn in the mercy season. Now we have that teaching in our Cutting Edge series. I'm in the process of recording an entire album on the mercy season. Should be out soon. This is not about the mercy season. I simply want to highlight 
one of the massive changes between the ruler season and the mercy season. And that change has to do with God focusing on the uniqueness of the individual. In the ruler season, we did have an emphasis on the 1 Corinthians manifestation gifts, but the primary emphasis was on the individual's relationship to the institution. We were committed to the corporate expression of the body of Christ. That was right, that was good, that was necessary, and we were primarily addressed in terms of character. If we had character, we would serve where we were needed within the institution, doing what was necessary to move the corporate vision forward for the kingdom. That was a necessary final step in our childhood, and we move now into the adult season, which is where God focuses on your individuality. Let me illustrate it in terms of education. We're going to let Bev stop being illiterate now. <laughs> so she goes to school, and in primary school, she has very little choice. She studies the same thing everybody else does, uniformity. She gets into high school, and she's given a few more choices. She can choose some electives and decide what she wants to go out for in terms of any sports. But it's still fairly regimented, and she has to go to high school because we've brought her home from Papua New Guinea, too. When she finishes high school, all of a sudden she is seen as an adult and there's this tremendous package of choices. Does she go to college? Does she not go to college? What nation does she want to go to college in? What state? What city? What university? When she gets there, which major does she want to take? Which electives within the major? When she has to take Freshman English 101, is she going to do it Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday? Does she want a morning class? Does she want an afternoon class? There are worlds of choices before her because in the college curriculum, we want her to become unique. We want her to live out in her major who she is. We don't want her to be a baseball player if God called her to be an artist. We don't want her to be a doctor if God called her to be a writer. We want her to discover who she is and to become exquisitely the best Bev that she could possibly be. It is a season for extreme differentiation. Adulthood. It's right. It's proper. And the church is moving into the early days of its adulthood and God is now focusing not on our corporate, character-based commitment to the institution so much as he is focusing on your individuality, and he is drawing our attention to a huge number of things that we call niche anointings, things that probably existed before but we didn't know about. There's motion anointings, sound anointings, color anointings, fragrance anointings, all sorts of niche anointings that bring about change in the environment frequently through what we call the blessing of presence. What is the blessing of presence? The blessing is where your spirit's niche anointing operates without your soul having to do anything. In the old ruler paradigm, if I had the gift of healing, I had to go to Bev, lay hands on her head to bring about the healing. There was an active engagement of my spiritual gift with her problem. In the gift of mercy season, we primarily walk in the blessing of presence. I'm going to give you two illustrations, and then we will deal with a third area that is more prevalent. I'm going to give you two very tiny niche anointings that we've observed. There's a lady I know who has a niche anointing for exposing corruption in any organization. She's a little bit of a thing, gift of mercy, she looks harmless, she's not. <laughs> Wherever she goes to work or goes to school or goes to church, people are at risk. Now, she's not a snoop, she's not a gumshoe, she doesn't do anything at all to expose evil. She goes in and minds her own business, whether it's doing a job or studying or worshiping. But within six weeks of her arriving at a new location, 
The person that's doing workman's comp fraud gets found out. The individual that is cheating the government gets found out. All of the illegalities begin to be exposed, and holiness is, by force, imposed in that context. She recently started her doctorate at a university with 300,000 students. This is overseas. I was very aware of her blessing of presence. When she sent me the news, I congratulated her on the scholarship that she got and just said, I wonder what God's going to expose. One girl with a redemptive gift of mercy, a niche anointing for exposing evil in a pool of 300,000 students plus faculty. Less than six weeks, it hit the newspaper. The chancellor was stepping down. It was time for election for a new chancellor. There was the designated heir. It was assumed he would be voted in. There was no competition. But somehow the system came unraveled, and they discovered that only a small number of the faculty was able to vote for the new chancellor. And the newspapers kept digging, and they found that most of the faculty was not tenured. Only tenured professors could vote for the chancellor. And the reason they weren't tenured is because mysteriously one piece of documentation was missing from their file. And the only people who were tenured were the ones who owed a debt of allegiance to the outgoing chancellor, and they were guaranteed that he was, they were going to vote for the incoming chancellor. The whole thing was exposed. It would not go away in the press. The heir apparent had to step back and withdraw from being chancellor, and a whole lot of teachers suddenly got their tenure put in place because that mysterious piece of paper materialized somewhere. One person with a niche anointing for bringing holiness through exposing evil, minding her own business, getting her doctorate in a big university. One of the marks of the mercy season is that we get results hugely disproportionate to the effort we're investing because we're working with a spirit instead of the soul. Folks, I could get used to that. I still have some residual tiredness from the ruler season. God did not design you to be under massive stress in the mercy season. It was in the mercy day of creation that God rested because of the completion and allowed his blessing of presence to sanctify time. And in this mercy season, we are consistently getting results hugely disproportionate to our effort by walking in the blessing of presence of our niche anointing and just being where God told us to be. I have another story about a man I know personally. He went to Iraq. And while he was there in a very, very dangerous assignment, nobody in his entire company of soldiers died. And they could see over and over and over again God's supernatural intervention. And at the time, we credited it to the intercession that was going on for him because he was a popular man, popular soldier, and many people were praying for his life. But for his whole company to be protected for the entire year was quite interesting. He came back and he joined the Sheriff's Department in California. He went through the academy, spent some time working in the correctional system, and eventually, by his request, he was assigned to Compton. Compton has the highest murder rate in California, I believe, and I think it's the fourth or fifth highest in the entire nation, murder per capita. I think two of the last mayors have ended up in prison. The police force was so corrupt they had to disband the entire police department and bring in the sheriff's department to service the city. It's kind of a torn down little city. In 2005, they had roughly six dozen murders, more than one a week. Murders. 
Most of those happened before July when this man went on duty. And for the first two weeks he was there, there was no murders, and he reported that the sheriff's department was getting more and more tense because they were expecting the lid to blow and some awful weekend to happen, and it didn't. He began to notice a strange pattern. He noticed that violence in the city decreased when he was on duty. In fact, as a rookie cop, he was consistently having trouble because he couldn't make enough arrests. But he noticed when he did manage to find something going wrong and arrest somebody, as he drove out of the city in order to take the person to the county jail, as soon as he went over the county line, not the county line, the city line, his radio began to crackle and all sorts of bad stuff was happening in Compton while he was out of the jurisdiction. He would get excited, there's going to be some action tonight, he would drop off the person he arrested, drive back into town, and this hot little town would go boring during his shift. It was months before there was a murder when he was on duty. And things changed so much that from January to May of this year, there were only four murders in Compton because that young man was a rookie cop in the sheriff's department. He would not consider himself an intercessor. He is not an old-school, gift-of-ruling, spiritual warfare kind of guy. He would not say he has any territorial anointing. He's a cop who gets in a cop car and with his blessing of presence does what God has designed him to do with a minimum of effort. We begin to look at that and say, what's going on here? And we found two additional pieces of data. One frustrated him terribly. He said, not only did nobody in our company die when I was in Iraq, nobody in our entire company in the 14 months we were there, was able to kill an enemy combatant. He said, how's this supposed to work if I'm going to have a career in the army? The other thing we discovered was that when he was a child, he lived in a ghetto, a very hardcore ghetto, a ghetto right next to Compton, as a matter of fact. And in a couple of years that he was there, he witnessed four failed drive-by shootings, and the YC gang was not particularly known for failing in their drive-by shootings. Furthermore, they had a tendency to take out any witnesses to drive-by shootings, and he lived to tell the story. And we begin to craft new language. We're observing this pattern, and we said, you apparently have a niche anointing we've never heard of before, a niche anointing to prevent violent death. And he said, that's interesting language, because while I was in Compton, suicides dropped radically too. It wasn't just murder, it's suicide. Any form of violent death dropped while he was there. But he still wrestled with the army proposition. He said, how can I be a soldier? I believe God has called me to be in the army. I'm good at what I do, but how can I be in the army if I neutralize an entire company of soldiers so nobody can kill an enemy combatant? And I pondered that for a while and finally said, I don't think there's any way you can walk in this niche anointing on the front lines. Have you considered working in military intelligence? He said, I don't have rank. I couldn't get in. And I said, all right. He's working military intelligence because that's where God needed him in a big way. Niche anointing. Language we didn't have a year ago, two years, three years ago. Individuality. He's the only person I know with that particular niche anointing. The other lady is the only person that I know that can disrupt an entire university of 300,000 students just by going there for a doctorate. But these are niche anointings that God wants us to identify, understand, and walk in during this adult season of the church. 
There's one more niche anointing that I want to look at out of this list, and that is a niche anointing for motion, particularly because in this generation, people with niche anointings for motion are largely rejected, criticized, labeled, and sometimes medicated. Now, I understand that ADD is a definable problem, and there is some biological component to it some of the time. I also know that there are a lot of people, some of you in this room, whose spirit is constitutionally incapable of connecting with God when you are still. Your prayer closet is an absolute waste. When you go on Sunday morning and the worship service starts and you can move, you can dance, you can lift your hands, you can clap, your spirit soars, you sit down like a proper Christian and listen to the sermon and you're about to die because your spirit cannot connect with what that droning person is saying up front. And you have guilt-tripped yourself and other people have scolded you and you have felt terribly sinful because you cannot intercede and travail like other people do, and you keep it as a dark little secret that you do most of your intercession while you're out jogging in the morning. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) And almost every single one of you with emotion anointing has been to a large or small degree cursed as a child or maybe even as an adult because you couldn't sit still, because you couldn't be proper, because you couldn't fit a one-size-fits-all mold for the culture. I was in the Deep South earlier this year, and I watched a young lady, probably 14 years old, with a motion anointing. She could not walk. She hopped, skipped, jumped, danced. She was on the worship team. And when it was time for the worship team to go up, she just kind of floated up on the stage. And I thought, I am so glad that she was born now. I cannot imagine the travesty her life would have been pre-Civil War as the culture would try to make a proper lady out of that girl that had emotion anointing from God. So what do you do with emotion anointing? I don't know. (laughs) And I have pondered this for a lot of hours because it is very... So, for those of you who heard my message last week, does that help a little bit? Does that give um? <laughs> does that give a little bit more fuller picture? Yes. No. Anybody? Okay. Um. Like I said, what I appreciated was that he's giving language to what I've experienced. It reminded me of when I first got exposed to John Paul's messages on dream interpretation and understanding visions. I had experiences, but I didn't have language. And it's hard to have comprehension and understanding without language. It's hard to communicate with one another if you don't have language to define your experience. I think Arthur Burke would would say himself, he doesn't have the whole picture. It's the beginning. It's something new. But he has some language. It's a starting point where we can converse with one another. I've sensed for a while, since I've gotten here, that... It's a new season, that the old has passed away, that the new has come, that we're to forget the former things and see that God's doing a new thing. Well, this concept of the changing of seasons gives us language to communicate with one another. A lot of you guys have jackets on today. Probably the heat's not up as high as you'd like it to be. The, uh, the analogy I used last week is, how would you feel if I put the air conditioning on? <laughs> right? Some of you, what you guys want is the heat up high. You don't want the AC on. Why? The seasons have changed. It's not summertime anymore. We're in the fall. Winter's right around the corner. The seasons have changed. And we change what we do outside when the seasons change, and we change what we do inside when the seasons change. We put the heat on instead of the air conditioning. 
church is changing. Now, I know that that's disconcerting for some of you. Some people just really are uncomfortable with change. I appreciate that. But it doesn't change the fact your discomfort with it doesn't change the fact that the seasons have changed. Maybe you like summer better than you like fall. I, I understand that, but it's not summertime anymore. Maybe you really like the ruler season, like Arthur Burke said. You, you finally got to a point where you figured out how to do this thing. And God in his infinite wisdom decides now's the time he's going to do something new. With all of my heart, I want to do whatever God's doing. I want to follow him. Like the Israelites wandering through the desert, right? They had the cloud by day and the fire by night. When the cloud moved, they had to move with the cloud. They may not have wanted to. They may have been, may have been comfortable where they were set up. But when the cloud moved, when God moved, they had to move with it. Guys, the cloud has moved. Things have changed. And though I might enjoy change, and I must confess that what I understand of the mercy season fits me much more comfortably than what I understood from the ruler season. Um, it is what it is. And I want us, as much as possible, to figure out what it is God's doing and then cooperate with him as best as we can. So the seasons have changed from a ruler season to a mercy season. Don't miss... The, the point he made about the significance of how radical a paradigm shift this is for us. He said that the Protestant Reformation looks like child's play in comparison to the paradigm shift now at hand. Child's play? <laughs> that was incredible change 500 years ago for the church. We're, we're, at, we're at the entry point, the starting block of another radical change. How many of you were here, I guess it's about a year ago or so, when I showed the video of that woman, Phyllis Tickle, when she was talking about church history? Remember she talked about 500-year cycles in the church? And she knew that there was a, n a new great emergence, another, a new thing coming? And boy, we were fascinated with her command of uh, history, of church history. I think this is that. I think this change from the ruler season to the mercy season is what she was referring to but didn't have this language to describe it. I think this is what God, piece by piece, puzzle piece by puzzle piece, has been revealing to us over the last couple of years. Now, I know that historically, the last move of God attacks the next move of God. <laughs> do any even superficial study of church history. When God does a new thing, and throughout history, he's done new things. It's the last thing that attacks the new thing. Just use Jesus as an example. He shows up on the scene, and there is an entire religious system in place. They've perfected it. Some of these guys are making their living off of this religious system that they've put in place. And there are lots of rules and lots of regulations to follow to maintain the system that they had honed to perfection. And here Jesus shows up, and he breaks all their rules. He changes everything. Right? <laughs> He's having dinner at tax collector's house and hanging out with prostitutes. They're washing his feet. How about if I got a local prostitute and let her wash my feet while I was preaching to you guys? <laughs> How would that fly? And she's drying it with her hair. And he's having little kids sit on his lap. The, the scribes and Pharisees, they were elite. They were untouchable. Everything had to be pristine. Otherwise, they couldn't enter into the presence of God. And here, God shows up in their midst and breaks all of their rules. Now, I'm not saying this is the second coming, but we can learn something about the way Jesus came on the scene and did what he did. I think that this next move of God, this mercy season, is going to break all the rules from the ruler season. And personally, I don't want to be a scribe or a Pharisee. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to do whatever he's doing. Even if, it, even if it offends all of our religious sensibilities, 
that we've been trained in, in my case, for almost 35 years now. I got a lot invested. I was born in the ruler season. I became, <laughs> I became a professional, a paid professional in the ruler season. As much as anybody in the room, I've got some significant investment into this. But in my bones, I could feel that he's doing a new thing. And I'd rather be a rookie, a novice, in the new thing that God's doing than to be an antiquated expert at the last thing he did. So I'm taking a step of faith. I want to move forward into whatever it is he's doing. And I confess to you that I don't fully comprehend it. I don't, but it feels like it's him. And I absolutely love an emphasis on what God's doing in the individual. Where that supersedes what he's doing for the group. This concept of a, of a blessing of presence. How cool would that be? What if, you, what, if God <laughs> what if God gave you the blessing of presence and all you had to do is walk through a hospital and people got healed? What if it was a niche anointing for healing people with diabetes and you don't ever have to say a word to them? They just have to be in your presence. Have you wondered why over the last few years there have been so many TV programs and movies about people with superpowers? And even television programs with people who have individualized superpowers. And then the, the different people with different superpowers have to learn how to work together to get something done. Could Hollywood be prophesying to the church about the new thing that God wants to do. Hey, man, as a kid, I always wanted to have superpowers. How about you? What if the language that God's using isn't superpowers but a niche anointing? And all you have to do is show up. I don't know. That's intriguing to me. It sounds like it could be God. I could, get, I could allow that language to fit into the concept of we're one body with many parts. And all the parts don't do the same thing. But the parts complement each other. Right? One's a hand. The other's the eye. Hmm. I'm intrigued. I like to do things differently. I'm willing to experiment and explore to figure out just what that might look like. So... I'm wondering if, if you have any questions or any comments. I know from some of the feedback I got that last week was a jarring kind of message. My hope was that today would help a little bit. Sometimes if you can hear another voice say the same thing, it gives some comfort and some stability. And so I'd like to open it up if anybody has questions. Pete, would you... Help me out. Does anybody have any questions? We'll, we'll pass the mic to you, and this way we can get in on the recording. Anybody? Any questions about the ruler season, the mercy season, niche anointings, this new thing that appears that God might be doing in our midst? Anybody? I love dialogue. Ask me questions so I can tell you I don't know. Tim? I just have a simple question. Um, a lot of times you can look at the history and say, okay, that was that season because you understand it. How does how do they know so much about the season that's coming up if it didn't even happen yet? Yeah. I, I have to you know, give the short answer, I don't know. I, I'd like to do some more research. I know that uh, this was just you know, one um, reference in another presentation he did. He does have a whole teaching series on the mercy season. Um, how he was able to historically define the past seasons is easier to understand. I'm sure that gave him some roadmap to follow to identify the new season. Uh, why he says it began in early 2004, I, I haven't discovered yet, but I'm, I'm interested to, to find out. I'll let you know when I, when I do. 
Anybody else? Um, I Matt? just yeah, the emphasis on this season. Um, I'm just feeling from my uh, that uh, being in tune with the Spirit of God and also being very close to Jesus are keys. And yeah. could you? Yeah. It seems like, um, and part of what I referred to last week, he, he didn't make mention of it in this um, video presentation, but I found it in some additional materials, that some of the earmarks of the mercy season um, is intimacy with God, that a personal intimacy with the Father, that we would be people who carry the fragrance of God. Um, the analogy I used last week was um, as a 14-year-old when I had my first kiss. And I walked in the house and my mother said to me, oh, so you kissed so-and-so. I'm like, horrified. How did you know? She said, well, you smell just like her. She wears that perfume all the time. <laughs> right? I think this season will be marked by people who have the fragrance of God on them. They've spent time with him. And his fragrance lingers and it impacts the atmosphere, that, that blessing of presence that he refers to. So I think intimacy with the Father is a key hallmark uh, in this season. Jen, did you have a question down here? Um, He had mentioned that some of what was happening in a former season will also, will continue in this season, and some will have passed and be done with. Do you have any insight into that at all yet? Have you yeah. any understanding there yet? Yeah, he did say that some of the things that we've learned in former seasons will carry on and, and that many things wouldn't. I don't know. Um, boy, oh boy, it's going to be my short answer today. I don't know. I think um, some of the things that we'll see that are different is there'll be less of an emphasis on, on building institutional structures and systems and more of an emphasis on personal intimacy with God. It may change. If that's true, it may very much change how we do church. What we're experiencing now is um, an example of the ruler season. You know, we've developed institutional structures on how we function uh, corporately. That may may very well change. So, um, it's running around in my head. Sorry. I'm trying to formulate words here. Um, So things like, he, there was so much learning in like, just for example, intercession. So that, intercession is pretty intimate with God. So things of that nature you think will tend to go forward? Um, I think it'll probably change. I love the example he used of the uh, the guy who had that, that niche anointing for, you know, going into battle zones and no, no violent activity takes place. And he said he, he really wasn't of the um, you know, historical, traditional intercessor mode. He just showed up, and it changed things. So we may see some change in that. We'll, we'll have to see. Does it mean it's bad to pray or bad emphases? No, absolutely not. Anybody else? I'm, I'm willing to bet that all of us, to some degree or another, We'll have a personal sacred cow that's going to get barbecued some, <laughs> somewhere along the line. Yeah. It's just part of the process. Anybody else? Any questions? Any comments? Julia? Dig in your hat today, Jules. Thank you. Um, I guess for me, because in the past, my my experience with Christianity has been some performance-based. So as we enter like a new season and whatever the new words, the lingo, you know, I guess my concern is people running after the, you know, the season instead of the new thing God is doing. And, you know, because then we could still be like an organization without being in a building. Yeah. So I guess my heart is that uh, that we function more like a family yeah. and, and, and we represent the Father. Mm-hmm. You know, and each person, you know, whatever their expression is. 
but I myself don't want to run after a new thing. You know, right. if Jesus is consistent, you know, through the whole, because without him, you know, what are we doing it for, right. you know? Yeah. So that's my thoughts. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm not looking. I, I hear you, and I'm with you. I want same thing. I want intimacy with God to be our highest aim. I think anything that I do that becomes a, a bottleneck or a hindrance between you and your relationship with God is a terminal mistake. Matter of fact, I should be doing everything I can to make it easier for you and to point you in the direction where you have a personal, intimate, vibrant, life-giving relationship uh, with your Heavenly Father. It's what Jesus came to do. He, he, you know, he was crucified and the veil was rent in two, so anybody could have access to him. You didn't have to go through a priest, as it were. He's our high priest, the perfect sacrifice. And so to have intimacy with him, I think um, that's going to be hallmark in the seasons, that people have intimate relationship with God, and that what we do as far as service or sacrifice um, in, is a reflection and the overflow of that intimacy, not the opposite, not that we serve and sacrifice and commit to an organization in the hopes that maybe we'll have some touch from God if the guest speaker or the pastor or the holy man you know, somehow blesses me in the process. I think it's going to be turned around. I think we all, we're a kingdom of priests. We all get to be, everybody gets to play. We all have intimacy with the Father, and then we bless one another with the fragrance that we picked up uh, in his presence. You know? And again, I love the idea of us being adult children before God. Nadine and I are absolutely in this season where we're learning Parenting small children and parenting adult children, radically different. You know, in the, in the ruler season, <laughs> what rulers by, nat- by nature do is effectively is they tell people what they can do and what they can't do, right? And they do it effectively. And the organization gets built from that. And that's what I did with my kids when they were little. You can do this, you can't do that. Now they're adults. I can't tell them what they can and cannot do anymore. I can have a dialogue with them. I can ask questions. I can speak into their life when they invite me in, but I can't tell a 27 and a 25-year-old, you can do this or you can't do that. I think, the, I think he's right. The church is entering into adult relationship. And so we don't need, we don't need pastors that will tell church people what you can and cannot do. I think what we need is pastors who will treat people like adults and um, love them and work with them on their journey so that they can go further into that journey of intimacy with God. Um, family. Family's a good picture. I think it's a, a much healthier picture. But, um, but the picture of parenting adult children and not parenting small children, you know, it's a much healthier relationship. I love the relationship I have with my kids now. Now, I'll confess, there are moments I'd love to tell them, huh. You can't do this because Daddy said, you know, <laughs> I said so. That's why. But th- those days are over, and I'm glad that they're adults. I'm glad that they have their own mind. I'm glad that they're pursuing their own personal journey. They don't need me to control it for them. I think that's a picture of the changing seasons, and I, I kind of like it. If we become experts at the mercy season, just to give it language, I'm not looking to become an Arthur Burkeite, all right? I'm not looking for us to, you know, all have tattoos of Arthur Burke on our, on our foreheads. I'm just, I just want to embrace language that we can use to dialogue. If somehow we can become experts of how the mercy season operates, and, we, and we've tried to do it without intimacy between the individual and the father, I think we've... We've somehow missed the whole thing. We've missed the whole point. It's like having Thanksgiving without turkey. I mean, (laughs) right? I know. Any other questions? Yes, Donna. Uh, This series has really blessed me tremendously. And um, I like what he said about um, going from the ruler season to the mercy season is similar to Martha and Mary. Mm. And it doesn't mean that Martha isn't 
pleasing the Lord, there's a, there's a need for both Martha and Mary. But as we become more like Mary and spend time with the Lord, then it, we can be and not have to do, 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 I think. And um, I, I think of a scripture that says, um, their faces were radiant because they had been with him. And as we're able to spend time with the Lord and find out who we are, find out our anointing, our, our gifting. Mm-hmm. And even he spoke about someone who lived his whole life in the ruler anointing or gifting, whatever. And he found out that wasn't even his gift. Wow, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's find out what God made us for, you know. Amen. It's really, I, I encourage anyone to get the book and follow this. But we're, we're totally following the Lord. It's not following Arthur Burke or following right. another uh, something. Anyway. I, I like the Mary Martha language. I think a lot of us can um, that's a handle we can more easily grasp than the concept of a ruler or mercy season. You know, We know what the Martha season is. Work, 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 work. Do, 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 do. Mary season is to be in his presence, to sit at his feet. That's the better portion. You know, Jesus said. Anything else? Comments or questions? Okay, let's pray. Hmm. Lord, we just want to follow you. Whatever labels we put on things, whatever definitions they are, we want to be one with you. We want to know you. We really want to know you. We want to be intimate with you. We want to take full advantage of what Jesus did for us and not live in any aspect less than it. So, Father, I lay down all my years of experience and expertise, and I just want to embrace you in whatever it is that you're doing. I pray that we would be new wineskins, uh, ready to accept new wine. Do it, Lord. Have your way with us. Lord, I, we have lots of questions. I ask that you would give us the answers to those questions. I pray that, um, that there would be a curiosity stirred up in us that tenaciously wants to pursue the answer to the riddle. Lord, I pray that you help us to move forward, that you take us to the other side, that we love one another in the process. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. Root for the Giants. Wedding, 7 p.m. on Thursday. Be here.